What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only, Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren. Because we're still workshopping that. We don't have a good enough name for you yet. We were uh, working with UF Oren, uh, Oren the Martian, but those those don't quite fit yet. We still got to come up with a better one for you, my friend. Interstellar Oren. So. Dude, definitely Interstellar, my friend. <laughs> it's still a work in progress. So if you guys have any suggestions for my fancy nickname, shoot them our way. Because the best part is, mine came from a listener. So we definitely, I feel like we, we can't come up with our own nicknames. we got to have a listener come up with it. So all you guys out there, workshop some names because we'd love to have a nickname that comes directly from you guys. Yeah, and we'll do like a big unveiling party or something like that when we when we hit on the right one. Oh, I'll use like sound effects. I'll do like the, the party groups thing, the yay in the background yeah, when we first perfect. use it. It'll be fun. We'll do it. <laughs> it's a plan. So uh, to get rolling here today... Uh, Oren, do you want to tell them a little bit about we ha- what we had going on last weekend? Well, the weekend before this, actually, because this will be coming out. We're, we're a week off on episodes, so sorry, everybody, for missing a week, but this was the weekend before that because we didn't get a chance to record that Friday because we had this thing going on. Yeah, we had a good reason for not putting out an episode because, as a lot of you guys probably know, we were at Cryptid Halloween 2 in Charlestown, West Virginia, and uh, that was our first speaking engagement. Um Dave, the Snarly Owl, was uh, you know, nice enough to ask us to come out and give a presentation, and uh, we had a blast, met some cool people. Um, I got to meet Joe from Crypto Theology. That was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, overall, great little weekend. Um, me and Shane got to meet for the first time in person, so it was fun and productive, I think. Oh, yeah, dude. And Dave had to sneak it in the first night. All of us were hanging out. It was, you know, Joe, uh, us, like just just a little group that was kind of helping to set everything up. And uh, we were all sitting there at the dinner table, you know, and Joe, Dave just like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to leave. And he's like said, I'm going to pay my bill, blah, blah, blah. He walked out. So we're all sitting there for like a half hour after that. Like, are they going to bring the check? Are they going to bring the check? Like, what's going on with the check? So finally, Joe's wife gets up and asks about the check and said, apparently Dave paid for it. So I have to thank Dave on air for his kindness because I didn't expect him to pay for dinner for everybody. That was a bit crazy. But again, thank you, Dave. (laughs) I wouldn't have ordered so many allotments if I knew he was paying. (laughs) I don't feel too, too bad. I got at least the combo dinner thing and I got one beer. So not too, too bad. (laughs) But either way, I still feel bad regardless so thanks again to dave big shout out to dave for everything he is just the nicest guy and uh can't wait to do it again next year hopefully hey and to tell him a little bit about a little bit of the extra stuff we got to do why don't you tell him about what you end up getting on the back of your arm after you know being gone for a while tell him about the story (laughs) yeah it turned into a bit of a magical fiasco magical uh, fiasco magical fiasco (laughs) but so there's this tattoo shop like across the street from the venue where the event was being held and they were doing like cryptid flash tattoos for the event. So I snuck over there for a little bit and got a Flatwoods monster tattoo. So uh, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you might've seen that, but go check that out. It turned out pretty cool. Uh, Red skull or no red skeleton, excuse me, tattoo in Charlestown, West Virginia. Uh, They did some good work and that was pretty cool. So 
sadly, I didn't sure. get to go and get one done, but how cool is it that you at least got to get a cryptid tattoo of a West Virginia cryptid in West Virginia? In West Virginia. Permanent souvenir. <laughs> maybe next year. Maybe I'll luck out. Maybe I'll be like, hey, remember me from last year? I didn't get a chance to do it. Maybe he'll just he'll give me, he'll slide me in and just let me get that Mothman tattoo I was hoping to get. <laughs> well, they had plenty of Mothman designs. So they had some cool stuff, but I, I went with Flatwoods. So. <laughs> but, I mean, other Which, than that... Oh, if ahead. I can throw this in, might be a bit of a teaser for an episode I'm working on for in the future. So. Ooh, always with the teasers, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to keep y'all teased. Yeah, yeah I, I love getting teased. <laughs> uh, Bruh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, That's and, what she said. You know, just on another note, I got to meet uh, you know Shane's family, so that was pretty cool. Uh, got to meet the kids there. Just a pleasure. Uh, little Orson, he's a wild man, but uh, <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. So. Now you finally understand, man, what I'm saying about He's just very much so a boy, and he's just... All the time, never stops moving. We're I think we're no, chilling at your hotel at like eleven to midnight almost, and he was just still yeah. fucking rolling. <laughs> yeah, uh, dragging his face across the carpet. Yup, <laughs> hiding in the closet, playing with the safe. Yeah, gotta yeah, love two year olds. Anyway, no, it was a lot of fun. And so now that we've uh, kind of covered everything from Cryptid Halloween, uh, Shane, why don't you give the listeners some more of the cool updates that you've had going on? So I recently did an episode on inquiries with uh, Lon Strickler. And for anybody that's not familiar with who that is, he's uh, the guy that runs the Phantoms and Monsters blog. Uh, he's been running it since 2005. Uh, one of the main things that I kind of got into when I first started getting into all this stuff, looking up cryptids and everything in high school, is reading this blog back in the day. So kind of a big honor. We uh, did an episode together, and afterwards he said he would be interested in me joining his uh, 40 and research team. So he said he had to get it approved by the other members and stuff. So comes back actually while we're in West Virginia and basically says like, you know, you've been accepted by it. Um, and we'd love to have you on as our Michigan slash Indiana uh, cryptid and paranormal researcher. So huge honor. Uh, some of the people that approved of me being on, which I just want to give a special shout out to is Sean Forker. I got to meet him last year. He's another podcaster. And then Carter Bouchard, who we've actually had on the on the show not too, too long ago, is also another member. So he put in a good word for me but pretty exciting at least for me because it's something that i've been into you know since i was a teenager and it's an honor to finally be part of that team so you know if anybody wants to get anything investigated you guys know where to come to go and check out the phantoms and monster stuff got all the links in our link tree actually well congrats on that shane that is some super cool news i'm tickled for you i mean i know you're gonna knock it out of the park i try my uh, best my friend <laughs> You know my theories. I think that's what he likes. So that's that's my thing. <laughs> well, you got that covered. So as the <laughs> listeners know, and on that note, the listeners also know, you know, reach out to us on social media through email, bizarreencountersoutlook.com. Any suggestions for topics, guests, anything like that, anybody that wants to collab on anything, hit us up. And just an additional thing, actually, that I just started, which uh, we do have a link available on our link tree. There's a submission form for it. But I wanted to start accepting encounter stories, um, maybe get used in books, maybe get investigated, uh, maybe get used in episodes. If you're interested, you guys just have to verify and let me know exactly like how you want me to use them. You could even just send me encounter stories that you guys just want to get off your chest that you don't want anybody to hear about. But I want to start making it so there's a place to put all the encounter reports that we take in. So again, it's there's a link off the link tree. You'll see it. It says report an encounter. Or if you guys just want to email directly, it's OMM encounter reports at outlook.com. Pretty quick and easy, but just an extra place that you guys can, you know, slide your encounters over if you know, you know, you want to have it shared in the beginning of the show, you want it may have possibly used in a book, uh, want to just investigate it in general and you don't want anybody to know about it. Just like I said, verify which one you want to do, but there's a place at least that you guys can share your encounters at. And uh, also, just on top of that, if you guys uh, aren't already following us on social media, don't forget to do so. Instagram and Facebook is the ones that we're the most active on, where you'll get constant updates and anything new and interesting going on with us and the show. Uh, Discord, of course, is uh, popping off a little bit more. I'm starting to get a little bit more active in there. So if anybody wants to pop in there, all help is appreciated. Um, I'm planning on restructuring it if I haven't already done it by the time this episode comes out. Uh, but there's a lot more interaction going on in there. So pop in, join the fun. It's been a lot of fun as everything's starting to pick up and roll. And uh, YouTube and TikTok. Don't forget to go and follow us on there if you want to get little clips of the show. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to post our presentation, but we still have a lot more ideas that we're going to post that way. So at least go and follow that. Go and follow the social media. Get updated on anything new and interesting that we may be doing. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, a couple different ways to do so. Number one, of course, go and check out our new and improved 
OMM merch store where you can find designs for Bizarre Encounters, Increase of Our Reality, and some cryptid designs. I uh, got some new ones I'm going to be working on. I got the Squonk one that's currently out, which was done by Chris from Conspire Theory. So big shout out to him. He did awesome work on that one. And I got some other new ones I'm going to be working on. So it won't just be podcast merchandise over there. It's also going to be cryptid related stuff too. Uh, it's just going to start expanding. I recently actually added some hats and stuff working on a Bizarre Encounters hat that should be going on over there pretty soon too. So go and check it out. And uh, if you guys want to get a discount code for that merch store, you guys can always go and join the Patreon first. Uh, you got exclusive merch store discounts, uh, access to early early access to episodes. Uh, you also get lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, which is the video format of the episodes. And uh, I'm going to be trying to restructure that one a bit too. So there's going to be some new updates coming over there pretty soon too. Uh, trying to make it a little bit more user-friendly, make it so that people get a little bit more bang for their buck over there. But at least for now, you guys get Bizarre Encounters and you get Inquiries, which is definitely, I feel, a little bit more than what a lot of other shows do because you're getting two shows all in one place, of course. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, make it so that we can get out to more events and be able to meet some more of you guys. You guys can always donate on Red Circle, which is our RSS host. And uh, that link should be available in the link tree. Uh, it should also be in the bottom of the of the episode description. Uh, if you guys donate over there and it doesn't give you the option to leave some type of personalized message, uh, shoot us a message. Let us know what you guys donated because, of course, we want to give you a shout out and give appreciation where appreciations do. And if you guys are looking for anything else to support, check out Joe at Crypto Theology. Like I said, I got to meet Joe uh, this past weekend for the first time. Super cool guy. Uh, he's killing it with his cryptid and alien and high strangeness designs. And uh, if you're listening to this show, you'll definitely dig them. So check that out for sure. And another new announcement, actually. <clears throat> Anybody that follows us on the Instagram has probably seen me post uh, a couple pictures of it, but I'm going to start using it on some more paranormal investigations. Uh, we now have an affiliate link with Chattergeist. So if anybody wants to go and get themselves one of these awesome all-in-one paranormal devices, uh, there's a link available on our link tree. Uh, and anytime anybody purchases anything through that link, it's going to help us out. And again, it's going to go on to supporting the show. So definitely worth going and checking out. And uh, if you guys want to see what it's all about too, Barry over there at uh, Dimensions Devices uh, is actually the programmer for it. So if anybody has any issues with anything, not that I've noticed any issues whatsoever since I've been using it, but if there is, you can at least talk to the programmer directly, work anything out. So that's also a huge perk. It's not just some huge company. It's a guy that's producing this stuff on his own and he does an awesome job of doing it. So go and check it out. Definitely worth checking out. And everything we've mentioned is listed in the link tree in the show descriptions. And now, getting into this awesome episode that we have for you guys today. Uh, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, we didn't actually get a chance to record our uh, presentation because uh, we were using one speaker and we had one microphone. And it was kind of hard to interchange back and forth. And uh, there wasn't really a way for me to be able to hook up my board to that speaker, unfortunately, because it was directly a Bluetooth speaker instead of having like the cool little plugins in the back. So, you know, since you guys weren't there, you guys miss it. Uh, we decided that today... We're going to do that presentation for you guys as an episode. So without further ado, Warren, go ahead and uh, take it away, my friend. All right. So tonight we are going to talk a little bit about the Snarly Yow and other ghostly black dogs. And uh, like Shane said, this was the presentation that we did at Cryptid Halloween 2. And it's because this particular cryptid is kind of, you know... Um, local to that area. So we thought it would be a good shout out to uh, Dave and everybody that gave us the opportunity to talk. So I just want to throw in Dave. also that the Snarly Yow makes some awesome beard, uh, beard balm and soap. <laughs> Dave, I mean, as in the Snarly Yow, but it definitely smells pretty Not great. Worth checking out too. Ghostly dog, the, the, the man. I mean, if you got some beard balm from him, I mean, I don't think it would actually be beard balm. You might just get a pile of uh, flaming shit as we were talking about on the Black Shuck episode. <laughs> That's a throwback. Anyway, so getting started into the Snarly Owl. So the Snarly Owl is a large, black, dog-like creature. And reports of this creature exist throughout Appalachia, but they kind of seem to be primarily focused in the area around South Mountain slash Boonesboro, Maryland, and Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. And Harpers Ferry is like, I don't know, 10 miles down the road from where we did our presentation in Charlestown. So uh, reports of mysterious dog-like creatures in this area go all the way back to like the 1700s. And a lot of the early settlers in that area came from Germany and England, which there's a ton of kind of black dog mythology from both of those countries. 
And so these settlers brought a lot of that mythology over with them when they came to America. May they have actually brought the dogs themselves? <laughs> uh, we might. Yeah, you might be onto something. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. a hitchhiker effect type situation. <laughs> or physically well, brought anyway, them with them if they are physical beings. I mean, if they're spiritual, they could have brought them with them in spirit. But if they are physical beings, maybe they actually physically brought them with them as hunts dogs. But we'll get into that later on. Like Noah's Ark style? Yeah, I mean, they could have. I mean, if, if they're using them theoretically as hunting dogs, too, as we kind of talked about a little bit on the Black Shuck episode, uh, I mean, it's definitely possible that they just brought them over as hunts dogs. Well, that could be possible in some cases, but uh, as we will get into momentarily, it seems like uh, some people were a bit surprised to encounter these dogs. I know I would uh, there be. There was one German settlement in the Potomac Valley, and they encountered one of these creatures, and they described it as, quote, a cross between a dark ghost and an English hound. And they went on to say that the creature behaved as, quote, both a shadow and a vicious wolf. And these creatures were known to attack people and livestock. So uh, maybe this was just a mean one from like the next town over or something. But uh, it was not their pet snarly out. It doesn't seem like. I mean, how, how much control do you really have over like a vicious hunting beast? I mean, realistically, I feel like it's one of those things that it obeys its master, if anything. And then past that, it's just meant to destroy everything. So, I mean. Turn uh, into a demonic hellhound essentially yes <laughs> especially if it's a giant black dog i mean come on now <laughs> so uh kind of jumping back in so snarly yow that's kind of an odd name where does that come from you know what's the meaning of that so the name is derived from the word snarl which means to growl with a snapping gnashing or display of teeth and yow spelled y-o-w-l Meaning a loud, long, mournful wail or howl. I can't do that and sound these effect. These creatures go by a lot of other names in the area, including black dog, devil dogs, and hellhounds. So you know, just kind of typical large black dog shit, basically from all over the world. But uh, some of the abilities and descriptions of these snarly owl creatures—they're uh, described as having a large, red, snarling mouth, glowing red or yellow eyes, which how many times do we talk about glowing red eyes on this show? <laughs> you know, it seems like every cryptid high strangeness thing we talk about, hey, glowing red eyes. I mean, even Black Shuck on the last episode, all black, glowing red eyes. Exactly. Yeah, and that was something that kind of, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but something I thought was cool in all my research, just how many similarities there is between all these creatures, you know? Oh, yeah, they're described almost to a T amongst all of them, as far as, yeah, like, the ghostly yeah, black dogs go. There's no variation at all. So, I mean, either people throughout hundreds of years across the entire globe are hallucinating the exact same fucking thing, or there's something more to it than that. But, uh, anyway, so... In addition to glowing red eyes, these creatures have large teeth and large paws, and they're often depicted as being like significantly larger than a dog or even a wolf, for that matter. And a lot of people think that they are not a fully physical entity, but kind of some kind of phantom or specter. Because objects such as bullets or even cars are said to pass right through these creatures. Um, I came across a lot of stories where like hunters would shoot these things from point blank range and the bullets would just pass right through them. And there are other stories where people, you know, had these things jump out in front of their car and, you know, their car should have hit these things. And when they got out to investigate, the creature wasn't there and it was like behind them growling at them. So, um, you know, that could be some kind of like teleportation Bigfoot type situation, or it could be. Yeah, like they said, they're, you know, some kind of phantom. I mean, just to throw in a weird idea, um, everybody obviously believes in the paranormal if they're listening to the show. But when it comes to like, like large black hunting dogs or just dogs in general, I've heard a lot of paranormal stories about people experiencing their animals after they've passed away. So, I mean, if you have just theoretically thrown the idea that I was saying about people bringing over their hunting dogs when they had these giant dogs that may not actually exist anymore, they may have become extinct, um, would it be possible if their spirit was left here because of them not, say, say they died before, their, if they only followed their master and their master didn't die 
anywhere near when they died. Essentially, they just don't have anybody to lead them at that point. So they're just kind of like running astray. So maybe they didn't theoretically like go into the light and they're almost like doomed to walk the earth trying to find their old masters. Yeah. Like they they could be ghosts of these black dogs that were actually physical hunting dogs at one point. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. Like this kind of intersection between, like you said, the more kind of poltergeist paranormal side of things and then like more, you know, Bigfoot type situations. And, you know, we talk a lot on the show about these connections between Dogman and Bigfoot. And these creatures are reported to have a lot of the same kind of attributes that Bigfoot does. I mean, like I said, the ability to appear and disappear out of thin air, um, this kind of, you know, spectral, but also physical nature. So that was something else that I thought was really interesting too. So kind of one of the strange things that this creature can supposedly do is it can alter its size. So like I said, this thing is like a larger than average wolf to start off with. And people have reported that these things can like make themselves like as wide as the entire road to keep people from passing them on the road. So, uh, you know, that's not something that I've come across a lot in like cryptid or anything like that research was this ability to change size. So I don't know if that's something that you're familiar with, with any other creatures or cryptids or high strangeness or anything like that. I mean, I'm not too familiar with it. I haven't really heard it too often. I mean, other than maybe like the interdimensional type of concept where, you know, maybe something's not fully phased into this reality. Maybe it causes some type of like warping effect possibly. So maybe it's not actually that they're growing bigger to try to intimidate, but rather they're warping going into another reality. If you believe in the interdimensional concept, even connecting in with the paranormal. But like, other than that, I haven't really heard any reports about anything specifically like growing bigger, especially if it's like in this, this kind of a state, like, I mean, you hear about like ghosts, like not ghosts, but like, you can't really say demons because I, I feel like that's like a hard thing to place, but you hear about a lot of these like quote demon stories and they like grow on a wall or they try to get bigger to like intimidate. That's like the closest I can realistically think of. But again, I have like a hard time categorizing those things as demons. Cause I don't think yeah. demons are as prevalent as what people like to try to place them as. Yeah. I mean, you know where I fall on that. Like I think there's something that's going on, but I don't think they're like biblical hell demons, you know, but no, I was kind of with you on that. Like that was something that I, thought was kind of interesting and stuck out to me because it was just so odd for this sort of thing unless it connects in with the hellhound more then you know demons and uh hellhounds growing in shape to intimidate i mean (laughs) there you go but uh kind of piggybacking off the ability to change size some reports of these things also say that they can change color and kind of frequently the two colors that they alternate between are black and white And a lot of people have even reported seeing a large white dog. And a lot of times this dog is reported as being headless and it's like dragging a chain around its neck. So I thought that was kind of weird as well. Like that seems more poltergeisty type shit to me than a physical entity at that point. Reminds me of uh, what's his face Crowley from uh, Christmas Story. The dude with all the chains in the beginning of it. Oh, yeah. Like, with every chain that they have, each lock of the chain, it's another sin they committed in life. So, again, maybe it goes into the whole hunting god concept that these things were vicious beasts, but because they were, I don't know, maybe there was something special to them that kind of made them more, like, maybe they're more intelligent, for example. So, maybe their, like, consciousness was, like, more developed. So, maybe they were, like, partly aware of their misfortunes or something. I don't know. Just just trying to, like, spitball some ideas here or something, but still kind of goes into that whole, like, spectral hunting dog possible concept i feel yeah for sure um and you know kind of in that same vein these creatures were often associated with devils demons and witches which you know that's kind of a double-edged sword because like we talk about all the time like back in you know years past anything weird that people encountered they were prone to just you know devils demons whatever but um they definitely oftentimes had a negative connotation and were often seen as an omen of death, kind of like, you know, Mothman situation, harbinger of doom, that sort of thing. Everything with that's all black with red eyes seems to be a harbinger of doom. But again, that might yeah. just might be an archetype because of the, the, the look and appearance of them. Uh, yeah. Or it could be, yeah. Like you said, the just reaction that it elicits in people at that point. Or people just because see something people, dark and then they just want to, 
they they look for something bad, kind of like how you've explained a few times on the show, where you know yeah, if it was something it, white, then they'd look for something good. For example, you know maybe that's exactly. kind of the split it where could that be happens. That simple. Yeah, because some people have described these things as almost like protectors to travelers. And they said that kind of what they do is change or reverse travelers' courses on the road so they can like avoid dangers. So that gets back to this idea of you know perception with these sort of things. And we were so. talking about that on the Black Shuck episode too, that mm-hmm. at least in English folklore, uh, they weren't necessarily always seen as bad. Sometimes they were seen as like acquaintances or almost like familiars and they'd o- actually be helpful depending on what it happened. Exactly. But I mean, if they theoretically obey a master, then they may not be... Co- be inherently evil or good. It may just be that they follow whatever master they have at the time and they just do as they please. They're not necessarily again, good or bad. They just every, every, just like a person, you know, you, you take people as, as a whole, you can't necessarily say they're good or bad. You have to look at it on an individual case. And I mean, it could theoretically be the same for these things, depending on how they were raised, just like any dog, you know, it could either be a good dog or a bad dog, depending on the way it was brought up. And essentially that could be kind of like how these things interact. You know, they'll, they obey what they're used to doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of rounding out the description and abilities section, the Snarly Yow is often reported as chasing cars, which, as a lot of our listeners probably know, is like really prevalent in Dogman lore. I mean, go check out our Dogman, Michigan Dogman series that we did. That shows up time and time again in Dogman Encounters, these things chasing cars. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. It's like 90% of the Michigan Dogman encounters are roadside or something on the side of the road. But I mean, yeah, that's even like, you know, Bray Road and stuff, you know? I mean, it might just be a normal characteristic of dogs because I mean, like, they may not think that it's actually like a person in a car that they're necessarily attacking. They could just think it's an animal bigger than them and they might just be trying to go in that defense mode, kind of like we were talking about a long time ago with this whole thing that they chase them because they're trying to chase them out of their territory. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I do think it's kind of funny how many, you know, dog-like behaviors these things tend to have. And I mean, is it a matter of they are fully dog-like with those characteristics, or is it that people look for dog-like characteristics because of what they are? I mean, that's probably one of those situations that some, you know some connection of the two at that point, you know? Because at least for cars, I feel like it's pretty semi-universal for a lot of cryptids. I mean, not necessarily chasing the cars, but just like roadside sightings, you know? Like, if you see, like, a dog jump out and run across the road, you're going to instantly go into fear and think it's going to start chasing the car. But if you see, like, a Sasquatch cross the road, you assume that it's going to go off into the woods. Part of that just may be our mentality of what we think's happening, especially in a high-pressure situation. I mean... It seems like it's a normal thing to see cryptids along roadsides for whatever reason. And depending on your state of fear at the time of seeing it could depend on how you interpret the situation on whether or not it's just trying to get away from the car or if it's physically actually chasing the car. I mean, like Mothman flies next to the side of the car. I mean, again, it could be a territorial thing, just trying to scare people away from that area because they're seeing it as their territory. Not necessarily people, but again, thinking the car may be another bigger creature. Well, I'm kind of talking about being seen near roads and whatnot in the notes I've got that these creatures across the world are often reported seen near roadways and bridges and even like graveyards, which are all considered liminal spaces where a lot of high strangeness and things like that just tend to happen. So maybe there is some kind of connection, you know, with like ley lines and energy and, these liminal spaces that kind of act as a magnet for these things. I mean, even with the roads too, a lot of the time where these roads are, these roads are that cryptids are usually seen next to, they're cutting through like the middle of a forest, for example. So it's like messing, it's disrupting the forest. So maybe it's not necessarily that they're like drawn to the road, but rather that it's, it's a, it's an obstacle in the middle of where they're supposed to be. It's like an unnatural thing. That's not supposed to be there. So by like stirring up the land to create that road in the middle of the forest, you stir things back up that weren't, wouldn't normally be seen unless you're disrupting the land. Yeah. And that gets back to, um, I think it's Bray road where like one of the first sightings was it digging in like a native American burial mound or something like that. So yeah, disrupting the earth seems to, bring about this sort of activity a lot of times 
And I mean, these may even be protectors of grave sites, theoretically, because I feel like most Native American graves, you may not even realize where they are. There may be single graves there may be whatever, but assumably too, you know, a lot of these graves may have some type of like protection to them. And maybe the protection is that when these things are disrupted, then this thing comes out. And I mean, again, people may not realize it. Maybe it might be a couple inches lower or something than they're actually digging for the road, but there maybe there is some type of like burial area. And by disrupting these yeah. things, they're actually like opening up, I don't want to say a curse, but like opening up a protection spell, so to speak. And then these things are now seen in this area. Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense because, I mean, a lot of that stuff would be so old, we'd have no idea what was there at that point, you know? And I mean, if you're not looking for bones too, and you guys are using some giant, giant tools, uh, I mean, you could completely annihilate a set of bones thinking that it's rocks and not even realize that you disrupted a grave that could be thousands of years old. Yeah, for sure. But uh, kind of like we touched on before, uh, the Snarly Owl has a lot of similarities to European uh, black dog lore. And I'm going to kind of just uh, run through this quickly since we've covered a lot of these points already. But um, like we said, a lot of English and German tales have these black dogs in them. So like you said earlier, I mean, did they bring them over physically? Did they manifest them? Is it just, you know this framework they already had that they're trying to fit a real creature into. But like we said, you know, there's these very, very specific abilities. So kind of like we uh, mentioned before, the Snarly Yow shares a lot of similarities with its abilities and descriptions with kind of European black dog lore. And uh, we talked about this kind of, more in-depth in our most recent episode, but uh, Shane, I'm going to kick it over to you for a minute to talk about one of your favorite European black dogs. So, Black Shuck, for anybody that didn't listen to the episode, and if you're interested in all these topics, I highly recommend going and listening back to that episode, but for anybody that missed it, just to kind of give you guys a quick little run over on it, uh, Black Shuck was a ghostly black dog that was seen between two churches. Uh, It actually physically attacked people. Um, It killed two two men in the... No, it was... It killed one man in the first church, injured another man in that church, killed a 14-year-old boy, and then it moved on to another church, and in that church it killed two men, and then it also killed another boy. So also kind of, I thought that was weird with that whole thing that it killed, tried to kill essentially the same thing in both places. But even the characteristics of it are very similar to the whole Snarly Yow thing as far as like black dog, uh, red eyes, ghostly appears and disappears and the other kind of weird part that throws in with this kind of thing is that actually left physical traces so there was the devil's fingerprints which were left on the church's door which was like a singed like scratch that happened on the door so the only thing that i kind of found really weird about the black shuck thing that i want to throw in in this one that it's kind of like a mix between physical and non-physical is that You know, they say that it appeared and disappeared within the church. It did some weird characteristics like climbing up on top of the nave, looking like it was going to pick out who its next victims were, jumped down and then attacked everybody, but then left the scorch on the door, disappeared into the night. So, again, fits a lot of the same characteristics, but it has this mix between physical and non-physical. But the weird part is the burn marks because it supposedly scorched some people in the process of this and left the scorch marks on the door. So that's where it brings in this thing that it sounds like it could definitely be like a physical hunting dog, kind of like I was mentioning earlier in the episode. But then why does a physical hunting dog have the ability to burn and singe and scratch a burn mark into a door, which is kind of weird. It's like a little added feature that this thing has, whether it is physical or non-physical, or it has the ability to to transition between physical and non-physical. I mean, that's also definitely a possibility too. And at least back during like the black shuck days, everybody was heavily religious. So everybody took this as like a hellhound or like it was coming to collect because of people committing sins. But, you know, if you take out the church narrative, as far as like how people's beliefs were at that time, um, I kind of wonder if they would have saw it the same way. Maybe they kind of like uh, blew it out of proportion as far as like the burns go. Maybe, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't really think of any like real world explanation on why it would have been burning things, but the rest of it sounds like it could definitely be something physical that got misinterpreted be just because of the belief system at the time. But yeah. And you know, a lot of these things have a lot of connections to, you know, we already talked about dog man a little bit, but also like the whole skinwalker lore and the whole black shuck thing kind of being physical and ephemeral at the same time, you know, it's this ghostly presence, but it can also interact in the physical world. That sounds like a lot of skinwalker stuff to me. So I just think it's really interesting. The connections that 
all this stuff has to like Dogman, Skinwalker, and even like ancient werewolf lore. You know, it's all in there. And I mean, at least the thing with like Skinwalkers, I feel like it's a pretty mixed idea. Um, I recently listened to an episode with somebody who actually is a different podcast, uh, who actually comes from like Navajo uh, lineage. And he was talking about how to like become a skinwalker. And it's a matter of like you kill an animal, like collected skin, and then you can transform into that skin. So, I mean, that concept can't exist just within the Navajo area. I mean, it could have existed in this area too. And they talk about different layers of them being able to become different things. Like he was saying, I believe it was like the lower level ones would become coyotes and like the higher level ones uh, would become wolves. So, I mean, assumably if there is the same type of abilities, you know, that you could view through different points, like, you know, not necessarily a medicine man, but I guess in like European, it'd be like a wizard or like a warlock or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, the concept of collecting skin and becoming one with it definitely doesn't seem that far off. And one thing that I've kind of talked about frequently is the idea that something may be able to project on you rather than physically transform into something like the human mind can be easily manipulated. So I feel like it's more logical for something to be able to have some type of like telekinetic powers or something that it's able to project what it wants you to see on it on you versus it actually physically becoming that kind of like the whole reptilian concept that we talk about that, you know, maybe they wear like human clothes and then they project themselves as looking like a human on you. And, you know, if something has a skin of something, they put the skin of that on them. They can project this idea onto you. And for anybody that may sound really, really woo-woo to, I mean, check into a lot of like the old government research that we used to do as far as like uh, telekinetic abilities. Like there has to be something to it, even if you don't believe in all that stuff. Otherwise, why would there have been so many different governments that have looked so hard into this and in the process of it continuously changing the programs so that you can't necessarily follow it? Like one thing I like to throw out as the whole, like the Men That Stare Goats movie, like that, all of that is pretty much based... It, you know, like, like how movies do. I mean, it's based on a true story. And a lot of it, as they say in the beginning, is a lot of it actually is a lot more, uh, like it happened, a, a lot more of it's true than you actually expect it to be. But they try to like control the narrative and make it sound stupid and funny to people so that they aren't drawn to it. And at least with that movie, they turn it into a comedy and make it look ridiculous because they were actually doing this stuff. And rather than actually having people realize that they're actually serious about these telekinetic abilities, uh, they try to like hide it behind like a joke, like they do with a lot of movies, even like the whole Bigfoot thing with Harry and the Hendersons, for example. But, uh, coming back around to the point, uh, I just think it's definitely possible for something to be able to take the skin of something and lay it over themselves and then manipulate your mind into thinking that you're seeing what that skin is that they're wearing. And that kind of goes into the whole skinwalker concept and possibly even these spectral black dogs, as far as like wizards and warlocks wearing the skin of like a black dog, for example, and then just projecting this idea that they are a black dog. And at least like the Knave thing, for example, uh, for anybody that wants to go back and listen to the Black Shuck episode, it talks about how it uses one arm and swings itself on top of the Knave, sits there, and then comes back down. I mean, that sounds like a kind of like a human characteristic. Maybe it was a human, again, projecting this image of a black dog on everybody, and it was never actually a dog in the first place. Yeah, I mean, this whole idea, I think you hit on something really cool um, at some point when you were talking about Sorry, that was a rant. That was kind of long. I didn't mean to go that long. My bad, man. <laughs> you got your soapbox out, but no. Uh, early in your soapbox rant, you were talking about um, you know this idea that in Navajo culture, Native American culture, it would be the shaman or the medicine man, and in European culture, it'd be more like a wizard or something like that. And that's something we're going to hit on here in a little bit. So I thought that was a really good point uh, that I just wanted to kind of circle back around to here in a little bit. So same archetypes, um, just different names. Exactly. So kind of jumping back into the notes, uh, we talked a little bit about the, you know, connection between these kind of creatures and more modern dogman depictions. So also in the same area of Maryland slash West Virginia, there's legends of a creature called the Dwayo, and that's spelled D-W-A-Y-Y-O, Dwayo. So, like I said, this is another creature that resembles a large black dog or wolf, but it's a little bit different than the Snarly Yow because this creature is often reported as having the ability to stand upright and walk on its hind legs, and they say that it stands six to nine feet tall. So, this, this is a straight-up dog man they're talking about at this point. You know, there's no kind of ghostly connotations with this one. This is a straight-up dog man. 
And a lot of people in the area think that it has connections to a creature from German folklore. Like we talked about before, a lot of the early settlers in this area were German. But in German folklore, there's a creature known as a hexen wolf. And that means witch wolf. And these hexen wolves are a human that has the ability to switch between human and wolf forms, which is exactly what you're just talking about. Hey, and just to throw another one in there, correct me if I'm wrong. I may be wrong about the country of origin on this one, but the grim fairy tales, I believe those are German fairy tales. And there's a lot so. of this concept about these human like dogs, like uh, little red riding hood is a prime example. You yeah. know, there, maybe there's a lot more truth in fairy tales than what we realize. And there was a reason why they wrote them as not just precautionary tales for lessons, but maybe precautionary tales against types of creatures. So, I mean, there could even be a lot more of this like hidden within that. I mean, there, there's a bunch of stuff that dates back with like the, uh, the grim fairy tales. And I mean, everybody likes to try to believe that the dogman concept is a relatively newer thing. And it's like the more you dig into it, the more you realize that this has been a thing since the beginning, not just with the whole lycanthropes concept that everybody likes to kind of dig into. That's like the farthest back that people find. But there's like a intermediate buildup all the way through of this continuous bipedal dog lore, even within, like I said, fairy tales and within, uh, you know, actual lore i guess you could say as far as like the, the german guy coming and being able to transform into a dog in you know the in the yeah. new world <laughs> yeah and you know with a lot of uh kind of werewolf depictions they don't have control over this ability to switch between the wolf and the human form but with these hexen wolves they say that this ability is gained either through a magical talisman or by making a deal with a demon or a sorcerer so, I mean, that's, like you said earlier, that's Skinwalker. It's the same thing, just the details and the names have changed. And, I mean, again, going into the idea about it possibly being just the ability to be able to project themselves onto people, think about it this way. If you saw somebody as they were trying to use this perception change on you, maybe you would see them as a half-human, half-dog rather than actually being one or the other. And maybe that's where the whole werewolf concept comes in about somebody transforming into a werewolf was that you know, maybe they just connected that it was a man that turned into a wolf just because they were bipedal, or maybe it was a matter of there were certain people that were catching them in the middle of them trying to change perceptions. And then they were skidding this image of a half human, half dog type thing. And they thought that it was physically transitioning when it wasn't, it was just that it was trying to change your perception. And halfway through, you notice that they were human. So now you're seeing part human and you're seeing part dog. So they're not actually physically transforming, but you're actually almost seeing like a double image in your mind of this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like we talk about a lot, the masks, these phenomenon choose to wear and choose to present themselves as. So, um, kind of jumping back into the Dwayo, um, this creature is often associated with the sound of a baby crying or a woman screaming. And that should uh, kind of give some red flags to our listeners because, as we all know, John Keel, who wrote the Mothman Prophecies, he said, you know, one of the big hallmarks of high strangeness events were this sound of a baby crying when there was no baby around. And, you know, the other one that he talks about is a car door slamming when there's no car around or anything. But, uh, yeah, baby crying. Uh, I thought that was a wild detail that, you know, just shows how interconnected a lot of this high strangeness stuff is. Uh, but these creatures are also known to attack cars like the Dogman. And uh, the Dwayo is known to be the mortal enemy of a creature known as the Snallygaster. And the Snallygaster might actually be a fun episode for us to do at some point, so I'm not going to go super deep into that. But uh, these were known as large creatures that were part reptile and part bird. And they were said to have the tail of a lizard, a metallic beak, sharp claws, and a body covered with scales. And some people have even commented that uh, they kind of resemble a dragon almost. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the many things that Roosevelt tried to hunt, which also may be a really fun episode in the future to do a uh, Roosevelt cryptid hunter, because that guy had supposedly an encounter uh, with a Sasquatch. Uh, he went hunting for the Jersey devil. He went hunting for the Snallygaster. Like that he's been all over the place as far as uh, trying to investigate this type of stuff. And I feel like that's one of those things that kind of gets pushed away by history. But if you really dig for it, that dude is adamantly trying to hunt all of these cryptids. <laughs> and when they were making like, like 
Abraham Lincoln versus zombies. How did they not make a Roosevelt cryptid hunter? That's what I'm saying. They lost the opportunity. What the hell, man? I'm going to be really mad. They, they, they keep making all of these random ideas for movies. None of them good. Remaking old movies. Not doing anything original, even though there's a huge untapped market of just cryptids in general. Can you imagine if they yeah, did like a like Marvel no universe of cryptid, cryptid movies? movies? At all. And if they are, they're like low budget. But mm -hmm. why have we not seen Roosevelt Cryptid Hunter? That needs to get done as either a comic book or a movie or something. Because that dude was all over the start place. Start on it tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna talk to Chris about that one. Actually, I joked to Chris about that one a while ago, and he did this. Uh, I don't even remember what the full image was, but it was pretty much like Roosevelt, like fighting something shirtless. And it's just this brute-looking fucking dude. It, it was funny, but <laughs> shout out to Chris for actually somewhat making some of that come true. But yeah, future episode, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Cryptid Hunter. <laughs> well, and I have no good transition from that to the next thing. So uh, Shane, why don't you talk about the long dog a little bit? So this thing is usually referred to by the natives, and I'm probably going to butcher this, so I apologize in advance. The Oolong Dagala, or as the settlers would call it, the long dog. And uh, the reason for that was because that was hard to pronounce for, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of these like native words that just kind of get this English version of it. And I guess the closest thing in English they, they want to call it was the long dog. Uh, but this thing comes from Cherokee legend. And as everybody's familiar with, I love digging into Cherokee legend. And uh, the name translates into spirit with knife teeth. So fits the razor sharp idea of the teeth as far as all these different dog type beings go. I mean, that may just be a generic thing with canines in general, but, you know, still still fits it. And uh, it's usually described as a half dog, half man with glowing yellowish red eyes which kind of fits there the whole again. Michigan dogman concept because they usually say they have amber eyes and I feel like in order to create amber you're almost mixing a red with a yellow so boom that goes right into the Michigan dogman as far as I'm concerned and uh, it's said to emit a burning sulfur smell and for anybody that follows the dogman stuff almost every single dogman encounter somebody makes reference to there being a sulfur smell so again and the sulfur smell you know obviously it's across all sorts of high strangeness, but it also pops up a lot with like the European black dogs as well. Which I feel like is one of the main reasons why a lot of the time these things got associated with hellhounds is because, you know, you think of hell, you think of sulfur and burning brimstone. Like you, mm -hmm. that's, that's the first thing you associate it with. So, I mean, that may just be that the reason why they had this whole demonic evil hellion condentation was just because of the smell they give off but i mean of course it seems like if these things are transitioning creatures or shaman turning or shaman medicine man whatever archetype you're looking at uh transitioning into something of course they don't have good intentions in mind so i mean it's probably a good thing to associate them with something evil but there has to be something to the sulfur smell specifically i don't know if it's necessarily that these things are coming from hell i don't want to say that's the reason but there is there's definitely something to it that i feel like needs to get dug into a lot more because i haven't really heard too many good theories as far as like why people smell these burning this burning sulfur smell uh before seeing these types of beings um, and they're also known to appear and disappear, changing between a long dog and a ghostly spirit form, which, again, fits into the whole Snarly Yow, Black Shuck, uh, transition of all of these things. And I mean, as well, far like we, oh, I'm sorry, I was just gonna say, like we hit on at the very beginning, the, you know, the story of the German settlers saying that this, this creature behaved as a ghost and an English hound, you know, it's all right there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, uh. It's, it's to me at least it seems like there's like this mix and i know i mentioned this during, during the presentation about all of this lore kind of going together that you have like the dogman you have the werewolf and you have these black hounds they all share a lot of the same ideas but it almost seems like if you took like the black dog with a werewolf then you'd get what we're looking at as like the present day dogman i'm not saying these things necessarily like bred together or anything like that but it could be either one a mixing of folklore that people are kind of just confusing them all because they all kind of have the same background or maybe it is possible that you know if there is some type of werewolf type creature maybe it's possible that it can mix its dna with the dog to become stronger and in turn they create this abomination in nature that we now know as dogman i mean definitely theoretically possible I mean, if these things aren't just changing your perception, say that they are physically actually turning into a dog, I don't see a reason why that transition dog may not be able to theoretically breed with one of these giant black dogs. And maybe that's what's creating this whole dogman lore is just this intersecting of these things or it's just an intersecting of all the folklore together. But I mean, both of them are definitely viable options. 
Okay, so um, we've done quite a bit of theorizing throughout the episode, but kind of jumping into some stuff that I had written down as far as conclusions and theories and things like that. So in the 1800s, there was a man in the South Mountain, Maryland area, and his name was Michael Ziddle Jr. And he came from a really prominent, wealthy local family, but he was known as the Wizard of South Mountain, and he was said to be in possession of an ancient German spell book. And actually, this book is supposedly now located in the Boonesboro, Maryland Museum of History. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like this is supposedly a physical artifact you can go see is this, you know, devil wizard spell book. It's not turned to the right anyway, page though, because they don't want anybody turning into black dogs. They they purposely don't put it on that page. You get like yeah, the, it's probably the like table in the of contents with the uh, the giant skeletons or something. Oh, it's in a case probably. You get like a table of contents. That's all you get. <laughs> but all of it's in like old English, so you can't really read it that great anyways. You're like, what the fuck does this even mean? <laughs> it's a terrible wonder or whatever we were talking about in the uh, the previous episode. Terrible wonder, and it looked like the devil. <laughs> devil. Devil. So back to devils. Uh, in the same area, there is Washington Monument State Park. And you know, this is not the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. This is a kind of small stone monument. And maybe, Shane, you can find a way to put a picture of it in the uh, artwork for the listeners. Oh, yeah, I'll make it work. But um, this stone monument was erected in... Uh, Erected. Erected. Erected in 1827. That's what she said. And it was originally only 15 feet tall. But it was He's a grower, not a shower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, it happens. <laughs> it was later expanded to 30 feet tall. So that's uh, quite a growth there. That's what she said. But, um, <laughs> this monument was actually constructed on property that was owned by the Ziddle family, like this wizard of South Mountain's family. And it's been speculated that this kind of monument tower, whatever you want to call it, was used for occult and magic rituals that were somehow able to, you know, open a portal or something to summon these ghostly black dog type entities. And in 1882, there's a book written by Vinton Dahlgren called South Mountain Magic. And this book is kind of regarded as one of the best sources for kind of early information on snarly yow sightings and encounters and whatnot. But it also mentions that poltergeists and orbs and witches were frequently seen in this South Mountain, Maryland area. And the book also mentions that a wizard once lived on the mountain. So this guy is at least a historical figure. Like, it's known he lived there. A lot of people thought he was doing some crazy shit on this mountain. So I thought that was kind of wild. And I mean, at least as far as the structure goes, I mean, maybe it's just something that's kind of just thrown in in folklore through movies and things, but it seems like it's a pretty commonplace thing to see that these wizards will conduct all these weird spells <clears throat> up in like towers. So maybe the tower has something to do with it too, that maybe it's something that is almost like holds the place of almost like an obelisk that maybe like it makes it so that you're able to open up portals. Maybe you have to be at like a higher vantage point to do something, but I feel like there's something to the whole tower concept, not just beyond yeah, movies, but even sure. connecting into just like portals and stargates in general, that it seems like it's a commonplace thing to see some type of tall tower around like portal locations. Also well, that even gets back to like tower of Babel type shit, you know, and even like mountains are regarded in a lot of, folklore as places you go to commune with the gods so if you build a tower on a mountain you know you've got a satellite to the gods whatever that means to you at that point you know mm-hmm I mean, that could, it's just plain and simple be exactly what it is. It's just that you're trying to, you have the natural height and then you build this unnatural height. And with that unnatural height, then you're able to do unnatural things. Yeah. You're trying to get as physically close to the gods as you can. Mm -hmm. so. But uh, kind of some more theories, um, you know, this area of West Virginia, Maryland, Virginia, that whole little pocket, there is a ton of like civil war battles that were fought in that area. And, you know, as a lot of our listeners probably know, places with a lot of like death and violence and bloodshed and just negative energy associated with them have a lot of paranormal, poltergeist, high strangeness type activity. 
And, you know, kind of the general idea is when all this negative energy is poured into an area, it somehow thins the veil and makes it easier for, you know, ghosts or ghostly black dogs or things of that nature to kind of cross over into our plane of existence. So that's another theory that, you know, all these battles made it easier for these things to cross over. And kind of piggybacking off of the whole portals negative energy idea uh there's also the idea of ley lines and you know i'm sure again a lot of our listeners know you know ley lines are these supposed invisible lines of energy that span the globe and supposedly the appalachian mountain range is situated on one of these ley lines so kind of like you know kentucky west virginia this whole area it's just a perfect storm for weird shit to happen basically and so now kind of kicking it back over to you, Shane, so you can talk about a little more uh, down-to-earth theories and conclusions about this stuff. For anybody, again, that listened to the Black, Up- Black Shuck episode, I apologize for repeating information, but it is something that needs to get brought into the fold as far as this one goes also. But what I was saying earlier about the black hunting dogs, if anybody wants to get more on that, again, go back to the Black Shuck episode. But in 2013, uh, Dig Ventures, which is the very first uh, crowdfunded and crowdsourced archaeological excavation team, actually uncovered a black dog skeleton. Well, they assume it was a black dog. I guess if you have a skeleton, you don't necessarily know what color it was. But uh, they say this thing was about seven feet long, 200 pounds, and it was actually found uh, a couple miles south of where the two churches were that um, the black shuck encounters happened at. So, I mean, it's definitely possible that maybe it was actually black shuck. Maybe it wasn't actually black shuck, but maybe it, it brings in this idea that these things could have existed in this area in a physical means. That, you know, they could have just literally been giant hunting dogs that were left over from the prehistoric age, you know, just as like a saber tooth or like a woolly mammoth. This could have been like the other parallel of that as far as like dogs go. And maybe they became extinct. Um, Maybe some of them got brought to America and that could be where the snarly yow kind of concept happened where I was talking about earlier in the show or even connecting back into the whole idea about spectral beings. Um, You know, a lot of people share encounters about seeing their animals after they've passed away or if something's residual, meaning that, you know, it's happened so many times in this area that it leaves this like imprint in the area from then on out. Uh, You know, maybe that was the case with these things was that they did so much hunting in the area that now they're rather than actually being there as spectral spirits, maybe they're actually like replaying something in some of these cases. I don't want to say all cases, but you know, these things were definitely at least seen in England. So, I mean, maybe the, what we're seeing now are the spirits of these things, but just, just another theory to throw in there that these things, at least one, uh, seven foot long, 200 pound dog skeleton was actually physically found and recovered. Yeah. And I think kind of wrapping all this up, that's a great place to end it with because I think a lot of this boils down to like we kind of talked about in the black shuck episode, this intersection of real world events, real creatures that people witnessed and then just folklore. And like we always talk about the game of telephone and language and, you know, hundreds of years later you get these type stories. So I think this whole black dog, you know, black shuck, snarly owl topic is a really good like measuring stick for the paranormal almost because it's kind of you know the whole paranormal in a nutshell as far as i'm concerned oh yeah definitely and uh just all the listeners out there i apologize for how much information i repeated as far as the black shuck episode went uh we weren't necessarily planning on doing this as its own episode we we're planning on kind of keeping it all as the presentation so if anybody didn't listen to the show that you know they would have already had some they wouldn't have had that background information so a lot of that was thrown in uh we tried to pull it out of that episode so we're not repeating too much for it but it was definitely needed as far as this episode goes so again sorry in advance that we uh weren't able to actually record our presentation, but we made it work. Uh, we tried to at least give you guys the information you need without repeating it too much, but sorry again for, for all of that. <laughs> hey, just uh, consider it a two-parter. You there know, you go. Yeah. It was uh, an unintentional two-parter. And, and ghostly black dogs. There you go. But 
I guess with that, if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to uh, leave a review or a rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. We recently got an awesome review from Tim Moon, so I want to make sure we give him a shout out because we don't always get to, we get a lot of uh, ratings on Spotify. A lot of you guys, we definitely appreciate it, but we don't get a lot as far as the iTunes side goes as much as I'd like to be able to read more of these on the show, but we have one, so I'm going to read it out on the show. Uh, Tim Moon, who was a previous guest on the show, says... I sure enjoyed getting the opportunity to be on your shows. I really appreciate y'all's professionalism and the engaging questions and discussion. The time went too fast. I look forward to hearing more shows, keeping up on the great work. I will keep you updated on developments here. It looks like I will be camping in the big thicket on Halloween night. More soon, I hope. Tim Moon. So thanks, for Tim, for the awesome review and the five stars. Professionalism? Man, we really had Tim snockered on that. <laughs> yeah, just the model of professionalism over here. Us two dumbasses. Hey, man, we keep it professional when we have interviews on the show, but when it's just you and I, then it's it's off the rails. Like that Black Shock episode yeah, we did yeah. was probably our most off the rails we've ever done. We keep it professional yeah, when we need to be, born. but we have fun when we also have the opportunity to. <laughs> we're going off the top rope hard on that one. But. <laughs> anyway, on that note, you guys know the drill. Reach out to us, social media, Instagram, email, whatever. Get up with us somehow. And uh, yeah, so all the normal stuff. Y'all know the drill. And don't forget to uh, report your encounters to our new encounter report email, which is OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can also go to the link tree and about three tabs down, there's a submission form. Besides our email submission form, there's a second one now that says report an encounter. So if you guys have any encounters, don't forget to go and report them. Uh, we can either talk about them on the show. Maybe I can get out and physically investigate them. Or, uh, you know, if you just I, if you just want to share the encou- your encounter, get it off your chest. If you don't want it shared, just verify what you want to do. I'll probably email with you back and forth just to make sure. So if you forget to do that, not a big worry or anything like that. But I try to give a place where you guys can actually put your encounters instead of just trying to shoot us a message on Instagram and I can keep everything in one place. So don't forget to utilize that tool because I would love to be able to collect more of your guys' encounters to be able to include in future shows, notes, any of that. And of course, I'll give you guys a shout out if you guys want the show, the story shared, or I can also leave your names out. But we can we can all discuss that when you guys send me your encounters as much as I'd absolutely love to hear them. And uh, everything that I mentioned, including that encounter thing, is all available off of our link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, I have been the one the only Shane Squatch. I've been Orn. <laughs> Basic Orn. <laughs> and guys, I got to tell you, every single episode, because sometimes I, f- I feel that like you guys forget, and it's okay. Don't be afraid to just always, always stay bizarre. 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 Black dogs? Huh?